This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Invest Talk. And well, we've been watching the news, and as always, it's pretty interesting. I think it's interesting. Things are constantly churning and changing and going in different directions and different ways. Today we have President Trump in London, political maneuvers in Washington, and continued trade friction. And yes, the news can and does affect the stock market on a day-to-day basis. Problem is, you should not react to it on a day-to-day basis. And I I fear that people do too often see something in the news and then they do something. They buy or sell something. When that's really not how you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to think about it longer term. And I hope that's why you tuned into the show to give you some unbiased guidance on that. I'm Steve Peasley, and thank you for joining me today. And I hope you will call me because your questions drive the show. You, you tell me where you want to go. As long as it's financial, we'll go there. Talk about anything financial. You know, make, shape the show to your advantage, if you wish. That's up to you. And remember, our goal is always the same. We're all trying to achieve financial freedom. It's always the same, no matter what. It always, it will never change. Your whole life is that way. Financial freedom. Once you even achieve financial freedom, people think, oh, now I can relax. No, uh-oh, doesn't happen that way. You constantly work for on your money, your assets. You constantly do it. Never, it never stops. Now, it may mean you don't have to worry about day-to-day bills and things like that, and that's great, but... You're, you're, you'll still work on it. You'll still be concerned with it. So on this hour, I'm going to try to help my do my best to help you, to help you stay on that path, to get on that path of financial freedom. And to do that, you need to call. You can call our anytime listener line number right now. It is live at 888-99-CHART. But it's any time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you can call and leave a message. Leave your question. But we're live now, 4 to 5 Pacific time, Monday through Friday. So, Give me a call. Thanksgiving is come and gone. I have two days of leftover left. One for tonight, one for tomorrow. Then uh, no, won't have turkey again for till next year. That's okay. And I think I have two small pieces of pie, pumpkin pie left as well. I have to hide the pumpkin pie because my wife makes great pumpkin pie. She's a big baker. And uh, if I don't, other people eat it. So she makes two. One I hide, one I let everybody else eat. That's how I do it. So I got two little pieces left of my pumpkin pie. So are you getting ready for, have you been shopping? Did you do all that that, uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday stuff? I got some interesting stats I'm going to share with you today about that. My main talking point today, it's going to be most analysts expect corporate earnings to grow 10 by 10% next year. However, one prominent Wall Street firm is predicting the stock markets will not keep climbing. They think it's going to come down a little bit. 
So we're going to discuss it. That's our main talking point today. I got three other topics I want to see if we can get to. I want to talk about oil and OPEC and what OPEC is cutting production. What's that going to do? I'd like to talk about the uh, uh, the, talk about two other things. The numbers will tell you if your tech stocks are plotting dinosaurs or speedy raptors. How to? Differentiate between tech stocks that are already big and blue chip and not gonna, or, or not going to move because they don't have the growth and those who do. You know, what do you look for? What are the characteristics that you look? And finally, this is a this is a something that uh, if you want to be rich, drive a crappy car. That's one of the things I did when I was very young. I drove crappy cars. Uh, my first, from starting from my first car up until about my fifth or sixth car, and then I started to get better and better cars. But I keep cars forever, forever, and that's the clue. That's how you get. That's how you can get rich faster because you're not spending monthly payments on stupid car payments. A car is not an asset; it's just an expense. So we're going to talk about those three things, people. Of course, I'll talk about anything you want to talk about. 888-99-CHARTER is our number. 888-992-4278. Let's go talk to Joe in Fremont. How are you doing, Joe? I'm doing fine, Steve. Thanks for calling. I just received a letter from my mutual fund saying that they want to convert to a closed-end fund. Uh-huh. And I was wondering what you thought about that. Actually, that's not a bad thing. So what they're doing is they want to limit the number of shares they're issuing out there. They want to limit. They don't want to have unlimited. Now, what's going to happen when they do that, Joe, is that your mutual fund, instead of selling at the net asset value of the exact value of the holdings that's inside the fund, now can sell at a premium or a discount to that net asset value. Generally, don't they sell at a discount? Not necessarily. Right now, many of them are, yes, right now. But in both phases, they sell at a premium. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's probably on balance more of a good thing because they're trying to limit the number of shares. One of the reasons they do that is they're gathering too much money to stay with what they're trying to do. So trying to limit the inflow of money. And that means that the manager of that fund is saying, you know what? I'm having trouble. Every day I get another billion dollars or $100 million, and I can't invest that much money that fast. You have to figure out why he's doing it, but that is probably the best answer that you could get and probably the right answer. Okay. Thank, thank you. Thank you. So it's not bad. Joe, thanks. Appreciate the call. Now, let's go to Min in San Diego. Hi, Min. How you doing? I'm doing fine, Steve. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for the call. Well, thank you, Steve. How can one person buy a natural gas index? The easiest way is uh, through an ETF, the UNG ETF. That's a symbol. It's called United States Natural Gas Fund. It's an exchange-traded fund corresponding to the change in price of the natural gas delivered at the Henry Hub in Louisiana. So it goes down if natural gas prices go down. It goes up if natural gas prices go up. Now, Steve, when when you guys track natural gas, does that mean they track natural gas exactly wherever natural gas moves? Yes, the CRB are supposed to be tracking the index. Uh, The UNG is supposed to be tracking the price, not the index. Right. You know the difference, right? It's not the index. It's the price of the gas at the Henry Hub station. So what's the price? It's supposed to follow the price. So that's a difference. The index it might be a group of natural gas companies. 
supply, ship. That's what the index would do. Where this is, this UNG is trying to just track the price. Okay. Man, I appreciate the call. Thank you. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Steve Peasley, and you, you and I both know that no one can predict the market. No one knows where it's going. This means you've got to be prepared to handle market volatility, and you're going to see that this coming year. More of it. So, balancing your portfolio, that will help you. And Justin and I can help you with that if you need it. Just call or send us an email at KPP Financial, KPP Financial. Send us an email, we'll talk to you. And now I'm taking your questions live, 888-99-CHART. listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though 888-99-CHART 888-99-CHART and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 888-992-4278. My main talking point today concerns uh, market performance as you know and how some people are disagreeing, some smart people disagreeing next year. So we're going to talk about that. That's the main talking point. Let's go to Paul in San Francisco. How you doing, Paul? I'm great, Steve. My question, I'm approaching the second half of my 40s. Okay. <laughs> and um, I work for a private company with a 401k. Okay. So, you know, realizing that I need to kind of get off my duff and uh, really start getting serious about uh, my 401k and investing, I'm dumping a lot of money into it, you know, 20% of my paycheck. Okay, good for you. Yeah, you know, I'm not a financial manager. I do other work, you know, and I think I know what I'm investing in. My question, I guess, is should I seek out financial advisor to kind of look over what my options are in my 401k and say, you know, hey, this is good, this is not good? The answer is yes, and that financial advisor would be me and Justin, <laughs> okay. and, we'll, and we'll do it for free, Paul, free. Yeah, okay. we do it for a lot of the 401k. If you'll send me an email telling me what choices you have in your mutual funds, I'm assuming you have a limited number of choices, right? Right. Okay, tell me what choices you have and what you invested and how much in each of those right now. You're mm-hmm. usually going to attach a statement to an email to me. Right. And then right. I will respond telling you what you should do. And if you do that every three months or so, we will help you adjust it best based on what's going on in the economy. Outstanding. That Appreciate will help it. you a lot. And just so you know that I'm, I, I, will, I do this for free for everybody, but I do have an alternative motive. Maybe you're going to quit that company and go to another company 10 years from now, and then you can roll that into an IRA and you want me to manage it because I've been helping you for 10 years. Right. See, gotcha. so, I don't want you to think I, you know, I'm just a nice guy. I am a nice guy, but that's not, uh, you know, I, I do have a, a motive down there. I don't want someone, Paul, to call me up and say, you see, you're really doing this for your own reasons. Well, I want to help people, but yeah, I have my own reasons too. Yeah, yeah. we're in business for a reason. Yeah. Okay. Sounds Thanks, great, Paul. A quick reminder, if there's a term that you hear mentioned on the program, but you're unclear about what it means or you have a question about it, we want you to ask. It's very likely that you're not the only one with that same question. 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Bob and El Sobrante. How you doing, Bob? Hey, I've heard you talk before about on balance, but I don't exactly know what it is or how to use it as information. Is it a short-term or a long-term statistic? Well, it's not based on length of time. Let's start off with that. Okay. You know what volume is, right? Sure. 
And for everybody else, volume is just a number of traded shares in a day on a particular stock. And you'll hear the stock market say, one billion shares traded today. Well, that's the volume of the whole market. But you also look at volume of an individual stock. The volume of shares traded on a daily basis is something that a lot of people look at. Well, is it up volume or down volume? Is it volume that's good or bad? Are people selling the stock or are they coming into that? Now, obviously, if you relate the price movement of that stock to the volume, if there's a lot of volume, the stock collapsed by half, you know that was a very bad day. Most days, the stock is moving sideways or up and down slowly, and you don't know if there's more up or down volume. You just know there's volume. But when you look at on balance volume, that's looking at volume a little bit more closely and what that does. For every uptick in the price of the stock, let's say the 1,000 shares are bought with a penny higher than they were from someone bought it from just the last sale. It's a penny higher. That would be up volume of 1,000 shares because it's on an uptick. The next volume could be a down one penny, 500 shares, okay, down a down tick. But the on-balance volume on those two trades would be uptick 500 shares. So on-balance volume adds the number of shares on upticks and subtracts the number of shares on downticks and draws a line. So if the stock price is moving up and you see the on-balance line moving up, that means there's more buyers buying more stocks on upticks. If the price of the stock is moving up and the on-balance volume is moving down, that means that there's more volume on the down ticks, but there's a higher price movement on the upside. Well, all it does, Bob, is trying to tell you where the pressure is coming from. Is it coming from the sellers or from the buyers? Like you were saying, even if the stock price is going down, sometimes the on-balance volume can be positive, and that's what confuses me. That is very true. And in fact, you're looking for that divergence where the stock price goes one way and the on-balance volume goes the other way because that's when it tells you the most. So let's say the stock price is going down, but the on-balance volume is going up. That's telling you more buyers are coming in as that stock price goes down. They're buying a lot more shares, meaning that stock is going to stop going down and turn around and go up because there's a lot of interest in the stock on the down ticks. If the on-balance volume is going down and the stock price is moving up, uh-huh. watch out. There's more sellers as the price goes higher. People are taking profits. Well, that's great. Thanks for that explanation. I hope that's clear, Bob. That helps. Thank you. On the next Invest Talk This Story, where, where to hide out if we have another December market plunge? So where are you going to hide? Should you? There are safe sectors, of course, if you know where to look. That's tomorrow, everybody. But for now, I'm Steve Peasley, and I'm ready to take your questions at 888-99-CHART. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99 Chart, 888 99 C H A R T, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hey, guys, this is Corey from Kentucky. I am 23 years old, and I am trying to figure out a couple different investment avenues to get ready for not only saving but future retirement plans. My company gives me 5% for 401k and 5% for Roth. I was wondering if that would be a good way to set that up. And then on top of that, I was doing individual savings 
through an online company, and I had three or four different accounts set up with them, but I wasn't sure whether or not that would be a good way to go or if there was a better thing to do with that money. If you guys had any advice for me and the other listeners, it'd be great. Thank you. Yeah, so if they're going to give you 5%, that's usually a match. You put in 5%, they'll put in 5%. In your 401k, that's where you start. You're getting free money. You got to get that free money. Makes no sense to leave that on the table. Now, they might offer, you mentioned a Roth and a 401k. Now, these days, a couple years ago, they allow 401ks to be a regular 401k and a Roth 401k. So uh, I, you're going to have to clarify that. Is it the Roth in your 401k? Is that a choice? And it sounds like it is to me. So I would probably start off with your Roth 401k. Put in 5% and they would probably, you know, you put in 5 they'll match it with 5 That's usually how it is. That very rare does a company just put in money without you putting in money first. They usually match yours up. To a certain amount, and this, and this is a, that means you can get up ten percent, five percent of which is free. It's like having a five percent raise every year. Then once you put it in there, then you have choices of what to buy from that four hundred one k. Usually, it's a list, a short list of mutual funds, and you have to decide which ones you want to buy. Now we do have a program called Active 401k that'll help you buy and sell them for you. And, you know, no, they don't do it for you. They just instruct you what to do, buying and selling those mutual funds. But for you, just starting out, buy, keep buying, buy, 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 buy. Don't be too concerned about it. Whatever the market does, who cares? Because over the you're only 23. By the time you're 63, 40 years from now, you'll that you'll have plenty of money if you keep doing it. Keep it up. Do you have questions about FDIC security, mortgages, money market funds, losses to your retirement plans? Give us a call today, 888-99-CHART. Okay, talking points today. Well, let's go to um, let's go to the main talking point, which is will stocks keep climbing next year? Now, Morgan Stanley says no. They think it's going to go down about 5%. Five percent. They think it's going to fall. Now that they're, they're not, they're, they don't necessarily believe them because Goldman Sachs thinks it's going to go up five percent. But it's really interesting. These two companies are considered the smart money people, right? They're, these two are the smartest Wall Street bankers that there are. That's what everybody thinks, anyways. One thinks it's going to go down five percent. One thinks it's going to go up five percent. And I can pretty much guarantee you, probably neither one is going to be right. <laughs> because experts are often, very often wrong. But it does tell you that both of them, smart money people that they are, feel that the market is at value. It's not going to go up. Most analysts think their earnings are going to go up 10%. Well, if that's the case, how come the market's not going to go up 10%? How come they both don't think that's going to go up 10%? Because the market's overvalued right now. That's why. So that's when I when I opened up, I said that it's going to be a stock picker's market, and that the reason I said that is because both the both many experts think that the market's going to be flat. You combine these two guys, the smartest ones, and the market's flat. So how are you going to make money when the market's not going to go anywhere? 
Well, you got to pick the right sectors, right stocks at the right time, and that's going to be difficult. It's going to be a difficult year. So just, I kind of like it. I, I some most of the time for some reason I do well in difficult years, so I'm okay with it. Kind of like it. So I'm just warning you, it's going to be a difficult year and a year which I call a stock picker's market. If you're a good picker of stocks, you understand valuations, you understand stock movement, you know how to read a chart, you know how to read fundamentals and understand them, you know about sector rotation, then you will probably do better than just flat or up or down 5%. Now, of course, a lot of this is going to depend on the world economy and China trade and all those kinds of things. There's always going to be things coming up during the year that pushes stocks up or down. But I do agree with them. It's going to be a tough year. Next year is going to be tough. Um, are we going to fall into a recession? That feels like it's being pushed back um, a bit because the central banks around the world have been pretty hard on the quantitative easing, even though they don't talk about it. They have been. So that usually is supportive of an economy that's not going to slow down. Okay, we got uh, got my got to come up with my trivia question. We saw a huge digital sales numbers reported uh, during Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Huge numbers. Looking at the U.S. e-commerce penetration as a percentage of total retails, e-commerce as a percentage of total retails. How do today's numbers stack up against earlier days? In the retail pie, what was the percentage of online sales in 2000, 2007? Now. That's, I'm going to have that answer after we get the break. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial, where principals and Invest Talk hosts. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are independent financial advisors. For clients, they are fiduciaries. Steve and Justin have a duty and a commitment to always place the interests of their clients ahead of the firm. This is different from the way many other organizations operate. And one way you can realize the benefit of an association with KPP Financial is to know that KPP practices parallel investing. This means that the personal investment accounts of KPP principals participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. It's an important difference. You can learn more anytime at investtalk.com. At KPP Financial, we offer independent thinking with shared success. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 888 992 4278. Okay, before the break, I asked a trivia question. Looking at U.S. e commerce penetration as a percentage of total retail sales, how do today's numbers stack up against the early days of e-commerce? So how much of the retail pie is online in 2000, 2007, today? 
So here's my answer. E-commerce has become possible since 1991 when the internet was open to e-commerce use. However, it wasn't until 2000, that was nine years later, when web stores require security measures that became that were advanced enough so that large amounts of shoppers would trust digital sales. I remember the initial stuff. And not many people wanted to buy stuff online because they didn't know where all their data was going. So in 2000, online sales accounted for about 1% of the total retail pie. In 2004, it was 2%. In 2007, it was 5%. Five. In 2018, in dollar terms... Online retail sales in the U.S. crossed over $517 billion. Okay, what was that? That's 15%. That was a 15% jump from 2017. Now, that means the e-commerce now accounts for 12, 12% overall of the retail sales. 12% now. Only 12. People probably think it's more. It's not. So, what does that mean now as for everybody else? I mean, so you got in-store sales and then online sales. And if online only represents 12%, that means the other, what, 88% is in the stores. Here's a bonus fact. Dell, Dell.com, Dell, Dell Computers, was launched in 1994 as a static page but they made rapid progress. The first company to record a million dollars in online sales was Dell Computers. That happened in 1997, by the way. So retail sales, e-commerce retail sales still only represent about 12%. And it's growing 15, 20% a year. How much will it eventually be? This is why stores are closing. Stores are closing all over the place. Lots of them. Because sales are going online. Okay, let's get to another caller who took time to leave their question on our Anytime Listener line number, 888-99-CHART. And let's go to Mark in San Bernardino. Hi, Mark. What are the pros and cons of investing in ETFs versus an index mutual fund? For instance, the Spiders versus your typical S&P 500 mutual fund. In an index fund, remember, you're paying a manager to sit on buying the stocks in an index, S&P 500 or the Dow or the NASDAQ, whatever it is. In a mutual fund, you're paying a manager to sit on those. Your fee is usually much higher than the ETF, like the Spiders, the SPY is the S&P 500, the QQQ, there's NASDAQ 100, and the Diamonds, DIA is the Dow Jones 30. The cost is much less, and you can buy and sell them during the day, just like a stock. Whereas a mutual fund, you only get the price at the end of the day. My personal opinion is if you're going to buy index funds, you should probably just go ahead and buy the spiders or the diamonds or the Qs. If you're going to buy an index fund, why not? Appreciate the call. That's right, thank you. Very good call, Mark. Thanks. Mike and Santee, how you doing? Uh, I wanted to get your opinion. Uh, my wife and I just had our first child uh, about yes. 20 days ago, and I am looking into some kind of college saving plan. I'm trying to weigh a 529, just like a regular investment account. Okay, there's also what's called a Coverdell. Have you heard those yet? No, I haven't. There's what's called the Coverdell. They used to be called the Education IRA, but now they call them Coverdells. So there's the 529 and the Coverdells. Those are the two tax-deferred college saving plans that you have to choose from. 
Now let's go over the difference real fast. A 529 is sponsored by a particular state. You can go to any state. You can from California, you can buy an Illinois 529 plan, you can buy a California 529 plan. And each state has its own 529 plan. The good thing about a 529 plan is you can put a lot of money away. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot. You know, if you make more and more money going forward, you can put more and more money away. The bad thing about a 529 plan, it can only be used for an accredited college. Yeah. That's it. Now, a Coverdale, you can put up to like $3,500 a year. There's a maximum, okay? It changes every year, but I think it's 3500 maybe 4000 per year. Okay. The good thing about that is it's much more flexible. It doesn't have to go to college. Let's say when your little child gets, uh, I don't know, uh, goes to elementary school, you want to send them to private school. Let's say you want to do that. Well, you can use that Coverdale for private schooling. You can also use it to buy a computer, books, other things for education, not just tuition. Okay. You see, so there's a little bit more flexible in the Coverdale, but you can't put as much money away. Okay, well, those are the two options. I appreciate the uh, input on that. Good luck, Mike, and congratulations, uh, boy or girl? A uh, girl. God, boy, that's what I wanted. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate <laughs> Thank the you. call. Okay, 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Okay, oil, we know we have been... Since I have been driving cars, which, you know, which has been many years now, 45, 50 years, OPEC has been the, 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 uh, uh, the controlling factor of oil prices around the world. They were a monopoly. They controlled the prices, and what they said, if they decided to cut production, you know, prices would skyrocket. If they decided to increase production, prices would fall. So they were in control forever, and only in the recent few years have their grip been been loosened. And one of the reasons is because we are the big producer of the world now, not OPEC. We no longer are subject to their whims as far as when they want to increase or decrease production and therefore cause price swings. At the same time, they still are big. OPEC is still big, Saudi Arabia being the biggest member there. But a lot of times in the last decade or two, you know, they would say, we're going to cut production, but not all the members would do the same thing. It was really Saudi Arabia who was deciding it. And remember, Saudi Arabia is now taking the year Saudi Arabian National Oil Company public, public because they know they've lost influence on oil prices. So now they're going to try to manage, instead of oil production, they're going to start managing their stock price to try to make money that way, in addition to the oil production. What is important here is the lack of monopoly, the lack of tightly controlled OPEC that would you know, increase or decrease production, thus cause ripples around the world as to you have to pay the piper. Another result of this losing power is that, and us gaining our own independent oil production supremacy, is that politically we don't have to fight over the oil in the Middle East anymore. We don't. We don't have to fight there. We don't send our, our troops in. We don't have to do that anymore. Now, I'm saying we don't have to do it. Will we do it? That's a whole other issue. That's a political question. But we don't have to do it. And investors and traders know that. 
So the when I give you oil prices at the beginning of the show every day, and I'm telling you it's pretty steady, that's why I think it's going to stay there. We're no longer subject to OPEC. So I think that's quite important from an ongoing basis going forward. You add to that the other inkling of competition coming in, and that would be electric cars versus gasoline cars. Add that to that equation. And uh, you'll say, well, gee, maybe we don't need that much. Remember, our gasoline, uh, gasoline usage in the last f- five years or so has gone down. Not up, down. All very fascinating. Okay, I'm Steve Pease, and you're listening to Invest Talk. So obviously, you understand the importance of unbiased guidance because that's what we provide here. You know, we have lots of years of experience, and I encourage you to listen for the unbiased guidance that we're offering. I encourage you to also consider subscribing to the KPP Premium Newsletter. I write that every week, distributed every Friday in your e-box, email box. In the newsletter, you'll get valuable information such as the week's market analysis, and this week was going to be pretty uh, volatile and lots of economic stats coming out. Uh, there's portfolio management guidance and a couple of stock ideas every week. And each Friday on Invest Talk, I share highlights of that KPP Premium Newsletter. So I appreciate it if you would subscribe to it. You don't have to, but it's pretty valuable too, I think. A tool, I think. Subscribe anytime at investtalk.com. Investtalk.com, that's with two T's. And now I'm ready to take your questions at 888-99-CHART. InvestTalk is made possible by KPP Financial. InvestTalk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are the principals of KPP Financial and they are independent financial advisors. This means they place their clients' interests ahead of the firm's. As part of that commitment, KPP Financial practices parallel investing, where Steve and Justin's accounts participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. You can learn more about Parallel Investing and the other KPP financial programs at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open. Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call now, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve. Kyle from Walnut Creek here. Um, I have a question about a company's debt. How important is that to look into it before you make an investment decision on a specific company? For example, I'm looking at a a company like SunPower, SPWR, almost a billion-dollar company with about $900 million debt. I'm looking at another company called Sangamo, SGMO, you know, a little over a billion-dollar company with no debt. So um, how important of that is a factor to make my investment decision? Thank you very much, Steve. Have a great Thanksgiving. It is very important. Debt is really uh, an issue because you have to understand how that debt is used. For instance, if you're buying banks or financial institutions, they use debt to make money. So they're going to have tons of debt. But that's okay because that's what they're supposed to. Or if you buy REITs, REITs usually carry lots of debt because they're buying property and they have mortgages. If you're buying a company that has a lot of debt that doesn't use debt to grow their company, then that is, which is a majority of the companies out there, then you have to say, well, why do they have all this debt? What's the purpose? The debt could be they bought another company. They had to borrow money to do that. Or the debt could be that they're just managing their, pro- their, their, uh, their company poorly. 
the higher the debt issue, the higher the debt they carry, the more leverage they are, which means the more dangerous that company is in a recession. In other words, the company trying to stay in business during a recession because they have to pay debt. So, so it's important. Um, most companies carry some debt. Most big companies carry some debt. For instance, Apple has some debt. They borrowed money to pay a dividend because they didn't want to bring the money from Europe back to the United States to pay the huge income tax on it. So they left it there, borrowed very cheap money to pay a dividend. So there's their debt, and they don't really, they have not, they didn't carry debt for years and years and years and years because they have such a high profit dollar coming in every year. So you have to be careful. Debt is not a good thing for most companies. But take a look at the cash flow. Can they support it? Just like you and me, when we take on debt for, you know, for our lives, do we borrow money? Sure we do. Do you borrow money to buy a car? Well, I would consider that bad debt. Do you borrow money to buy a house? I would consider that a good debt. Good debt. So if the debt is good and it adds to your profitability, your return on equity, your return on assets, and you know it's a wise investment of of someone else giving money who's giving it to you cheap, sure, use it. But if it's you're using it just to spend money, like I know a lot of companies borrow money just so they can pay a dividend. That is stupid. We don't buy those kind of companies. That's stupid. Borrow money to pay a dividend. Why are you borrowing money, my own company, then to pay me back my own money that I'm borrowing that now I have to pay interest on? It doesn't make sense. So, that that, that, that is very, very important. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Okay. The road to riches is simple. Drive a crappy car. Because a car, as I just said, is a is not an asset. It's a depreciating item. You know, the only time it makes sense to ha- own a car is when you have don't you don't have to pay it off. You don't have a mortgage on it. You don't have a you don't have a a, a loan on the dang car. Because now you you're driving around a car. You don't have any expenses other than gasoline and repairs. Because of course you need a car to get around for your job or whatever. But why do you? I give you an example. I have some young nephews. Back in uh, before the housing crash of 2008, they were the couple of them were in real estate appraising and doing very very well. Right for several years, they're doing really great. So they bought very expensive cars, more expensive cars than I have, and they bought you know house. And then all of a sudden, the housing bubble burst and. Guess what? Had to repo the car and they had to sell their house, and you know they're totally in debt. The house, they you know, the housing crisis crushed them because they took on all this debt without looking further out, saying, "Well, gee, this housing crisis." Even though after I told them not to do it, <laughs> they still do it. You know, which you know, I've noticed that you know that happens quite often. So do not, you know, start with a crappy car. Pay cash for your cars. There's only been one car that I have not paid cash for, and that was my first car. You say you can't do it? Certainly you can. You just got to buy crappy cars, cheap cars. Of course, don't buy the first new car that like I did, which was a Pinto, Ford Pinto. Remember, they used to blow up. They don't make those anymore. If they got in a rear end accident, they would blow up. This is the Vest Talk. I'm Steve Peasley. Well, thank goodness on that Pinto I own, I was hit head on instead of in the rear. And it totaled the car. 
I'm Steve Peasley, and we have just one goal here, to help you achieve financial freedom. And, of course, our work is going to continue after this break. So get your questions in now, 888-99-CHART. to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though 888-99 chart 888-99 C H A R T and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. John and Oceanside. How do John? I'm pretty good. My question is I heard this uh, rumor if you buy a stock that is interest and you reinvest the interest and hold on to that stock eventually you get rich. That's true. Well, <laughs> that's kind of a broad <laughs> statement. Uh, when you say you're talking about dividends, right? When you buy stock yes. and it pays dividends. I'll tell uh-huh. you this. Dividends make up about 30 to 40% of the return of the S&P 500 over the last 100 years. Dividends are very, very important. So when you reinvest them, the answer is it will help greatly get you rich. But you have to buy the right dividend-paying stocks. You can't buy a stock that goes out of business in 20 years or 10 years. Like uh, ExxonMobil? Yeah, ExxonMobil is a perfect example. It's going to last forever. You can buy a couple of drugs companies you know, that pay very high dividends. You also want to buy companies that are growing, you know, growing their earnings and growing their dividends. So it's not just paying the dividends, but also increasing the dividends. So, John, you can build like a little portfolio of these high-dividend-paying, growing companies, and you'll do very well over time. Thank you. Thank you for the call. Appreciate it. Marie in Snow Valley. How are you doing, Marie? My husband and I are 88 years old, and uh-huh. my daughter is helping us decide what to do with a, an IRA. We have about $200,000, and it's was called from a bond, and it's needs to be invested. Okay. Are we too old to think of a balanced fund or a bond fund, or should we just go to cash? Well, you're 88. God bless you for that. How's your health? Fine. <laughs> Are you financially set? Do you have any worries about money other than this money? We just need this money to pay insurance policies. Normally, at 88 years old, I would say, don't put it in anything long term. Mm-hmm. You don't need to. Mm-hmm. And if you have your health, Marie, go take a trip around the world. I'm thinking if you're financially set, you know, you saved and worked and scrimped for this money all your life, and it's time to enjoy it. Well, I don't know. If it was me, and I'm 88 years old, and I have lots of money, and this is money I just need for insurance payments, and how much is that a year, by the way? Well, the one last pays $8,000. Eight? Mm-hmm. So at $8,000 a year, if you made absolutely nothing on this $200,000, you got 20-plus years Mm-hmm. of money. And God bless you, I don't think you're going to make it up to 108. No, I don't think so either. Okay. What you could do, do you have one child, daughter? I have two daughters. Have you been giving them gifts of up to $10,000 a year to transfer the wealth without a tax consequence? Well, our other money's all in property and mm-hmm. we can't because of capital gains yet. That's right. You got issues there. I would keep it liquid. I do a CD or treasury. I do ladder treasuries or CDs. I would not get involved with the stock market at 88. Okay. And that's just me. If you have plenty of money, sure. If it's fun and something you want to do, sure. But otherwise, I'd probably keep it very safe, Marie. I just want to be sure I make that $8,000. <laughs> that's right. Okay. Thank you very much for the call. Okay, tech stocks. You know, tech stocks have been the darling of the stock market for a number of years. But, you know, a lot of tech is now getting getting very developed, very blue chippy, 
like blue chips. And you're going to have to be a little bit more careful about what tech stocks you're buying if you want to get the growth. So you have to decide, am I going to buy the growth or am I going to buy um, just a good valuable stock that maybe start paying a dividend and will increase the dividend over the years? So how do you separate? How do you, find, how do you determine that? Now, I do talk about it quite a bit on the show. Uh, where's your growth sectors? And I've mentioned that in the past. Uh, artificial intelligence is one. Uh, cloud computing is one. There's where your growth, growth sectors. It's just going to get more and more and more uh, cloud-based and more and more use of artificial intelligence. So if you can find those areas that will benefit from that growth perspective, that's where you're going to get your best returns going forward. That's not an easy thing. You're not going to get your best returns going forward from old Facebook, Google, Microsoft, Apple. You probably won't because these are huge companies already, Amazon. They're so big that it's hard for them to grow very fast. And that's what you're looking for. Yeah, they're great companies. And yeah, they would be wise to own some of those. But not if you're looking for the growth in the tech sector. There's a lot of places that you have to, you know, kind of figure out on your own. So don't expect that to happen in the future, everybody. you got to be a little bit more careful of the tech companies. You know, last year, the stocks that worked was the FANG stocks, right? Facebook, Apple, Netflix, Google. Netflix, man, if I would not be a buyer of Netflix. Would not. They have huge competition coming. Disney, AT&T, Amazon, all coming out to shooting after the leader Netflix in entertainment. I'm Steve Peasley, and this completes another Investop program. I will return tomorrow on Thursday. And please tell your friends and family members about our free podcast downloads. Everything's free there. We cut out all the commercials and everything. You can get them at Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or Investop.com. You can download there. Be sure to rate us, too. I want you to do that. Have a great night, everybody. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.